We're going to press on here with our uh, series on the parables. What do you call a chicken crossing the road? The answer is poultry in motion. Okay, they start, they, listen, I'm going to go through about a half a dozen of these. They start bad and they get a little bit better, all right? Number two, what do you call a boomerang that doesn't work? A stick. Number, okay, what do you call four, four bullfighters in quicksand? Cuatro cinco. <laughs> okay, where do you find a dog with no legs? Right where you left him. What do you call cheese that isn't yours? Nacho cheese. Okay, here's one. What do you call a man who falls into an upholstery machine? Fully recovered. Here's the last one. What do you call a Christian who isn't serving? A contradiction. A contradiction. Today we're going to look at another parable of Jesus. And the point of Jesus' parable, the point he wants to take, us, uh, take away, uh, wants us to take away from this parable is that he wants us to be responsible servants. It does no good to have God-given talents and then to not use them. That's the whole point of this parable that we're going to go through. Now I'm making an assumption that, well, this church is, I think, saturated with servants. Each of us can and should ratchet up our servanthood quota. You and I have been redeemed for a reason. We, we've been converted to the cause of the Great Commission. Another way to say that is that we've been saved to serve. In fact, if you belong to this body of believers, North Shore Christian Church, you've entered into a covenant, really. We call it a fellowship covenant. And one of the important aspects of that covenant or commitment is this. I will serve the ministry of my fellowship. I will serve the ministry of my fellowship. You have a commitment to this body of believers to use the gifts and talents that God has given you. There was once a man in a church who made a covenant with his pastor to tithe 10% of his income every year. And at the time he made this commitment, he was young, he didn't have much money. And so the man was able to tithe $1,000 the year he earned 10000 But things changed. He tithed $10,000 the year he earned 100000 And he tithed $100,000 the year he earned $1 million. But the year he earned $6 million... He just could not bring himself to write out a check for $600,000. And so he telephoned the pastor, who had long since moved to another church, and he asked to see the pastor. Walking into the pastor's office, the man begged to be let out of the covenant, saying, this tithing business has to stop. He said, it was fine when my tithe was $1,000, but I just can't afford $600,000. You've got to do something, pastor. The pastor knelt on the floor and prayed silently for a long time. Eventually the man said, what are you doing? Are you praying that God will let me out of the, the, this, this, this covenant to tithe? And the pastor said, no, I'm, I'm praying for God to reduce your income back to the level where it was $1,000 
of, that you would have to tithe. <laughs> the man was a bit shocked. And so may, we might be uh, shocked a bit to kind of as we go through this, this uh, parable to understand if we don't use our gifts or our talents, we lose them. Use it or lose it kind of thing is what, what Jesus is going to be saying here in this parable. So in our text for today, Jesus says, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many. When it comes to our resources, not just our finances, but our gifts and our abilities, we need to be using them to further God's kingdom. God doesn't bless us with with money or talents or abilities just for us to sit on them. So let's turn to Matthew 25, and I'll read the text. Matthew 25, starting at verse 14. Again, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he, said, then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents brought the other five. Uh, brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the, bank, with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So God is, is given every believer certain gifts and abilities. Some are enabled to teach while others are empowered to show mercy. Some are natural encouragers. Others are hard, hardwired as uh, administrators. But the point I want us to think about and understand is this. All of us are servants. All of us are servants. And we are responsible to use whatever gifts we have to further God's kingdom. Unfortunately, I think many Christians focus so much on the gifts they do not have that they forget to use the ones they do. They look around at others and they actually envy the abilities or the accomplishments of other people rather than 
choosing to use the abilities that they've been blessed with. And Jesus warns us against uh, an attitude like that in this parable. It was Mother Teresa who once brilliantly said, she said, God did not call me to be a sensation. He called me to be a servant. And she did that faithfully by using her wonderful and simple gift of compassion. Compassion, that was her gift. Helping one person at a time. And yes, it's true, if, if you claim the name of Jesus, he expects you to be using the talents and abilities, your talents and abilities he's given you to serve him, even if that ability is the simple ability to show compassion. The value of our gifts and abilities, this is very important, the value of our gifts and abilities, and you'll have to have an eternal perspective to understand this and embrace this, the value of our gifts and abilities is, is determined by how we develop them and use them. A plain bar of iron is worth only $5. But that same bar of iron, if it's made into horseshoes, is worth $50. If it were made into needles, it would be worth $5,000. If it were made into balance springs for fine Swiss washes, watches, it would be worth $500,000. The, the raw material is not as important as how it's developed. And God says we have spiritual gifts, but their worth to him will de be dependent on how we develop those gifts, how we use those gifts. Not just the fact that we possess them. So each of us is responsible to use or develop the gifts God has given us to accomplish his work. Now let's consider some overlooked, often overlooked truths about this parable. Number one, both the talents and the servants belonged to the master. Now don't overlook this. This is really important, and I'm afraid we do. The fact that the master in the story owned both the servants and the talents that he gave those servants reflects a basic principle, a, a, a biblical truth. And that is this, that God owns everything. God owns everything. In Psalm 24, verse 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. See, we're just stewards. We're temporary stewards of, of this planet Earth. And everything we feel and touch, we're just temporary stewards of. So this morning, you woke up to another one of God's days in God's world. The house you slept in was made of wood from God's trees and brick from the elements of God's earth. The food you ate for breakfast this morning came from God's fields and God's farms. The next breath you take will be a breath of God's air. But you say, I bought my house. I paid for that food. Well, who gave you the abilities to use and to earn an income? Who gave you the mind and the body to use, to do that? Feel your pulse this afternoon. Do you have any control at all over whether or not your heart takes its next beat? Your, your very life belongs to God, and I think we forget that. To become a Christian is to become a slave of Jesus Christ. That's what Sue was communicating to the kids just now. 
According to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20, like she said, you're not your own. You've been bought at a price, the, the very precious blood of Jesus. Therefore, honor God with your body. In other words, it's time for us to start acting like that. Once again, I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul's words in Romans 12.1. He says, in view of God's mercy, because of his great love for us, that we're to offer ourselves back to him as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. We're going to sing after this message in, uh, to prepare our hearts for communion. I think it'll be before communion, Pete, or after? Close with it. Okay, so after communion today, we're going to sing a song. And you're familiar with the, the song, many of us are, Take My Life and Let It Be. It's a powerful hymn. Consecrated, Lord, to Thee. The words just say that. Take my life and let it be. Consecrated, Lord, to Thee. And I hope and pray that as we sing this song later, after this message, that the, the words would stir your soul. It goes on to say, Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Take my hands and let them move at the impulse of thy love. Take my feet, let them be swift and beautiful for thee. Take my voice, let me sing always only for my king. Take my lips, let them be filled with messages from thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. Take myself, and I will ever be only all for thee. Take my life, Lord, let it be consecrated to thee. And that, that word consecrate there, we can... That, that word um, can be described maybe as a contract with God. Only this contract is blank. And you sign your name at the bottom, and then you give it back to God, and you let him fill in the terms. That's what that means, to be consecrated. Lord, whatever you want. Here's the contract. You fill it out. I've already signed it. Here's my life, Lord. Let it be consecrated all to thee. Now listen to that verse again. You're not your own. You've been bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. That's what that means. Number two, the master entrusted each servant with something of great value. Great value. In, in biblical times, a denarius equaled one day's wage for an average laborer. A talent was worth about 6,000 denarii about 20 years' wages for the average person. Just one talent. So we're told that one servant received five talents, another two talents, and a third one talent. So the amount entrusted to even the least servant was equal to nearly 20 years' wages. It's incredible. And the point is, whatever gifts and abilities, don't miss these points. We overlook these points in this parable. Whatever gifts and abilities, time, money, influence, or opportunities that God has given you, they are incredibly valuable to him. And we go through our lives as, as if it's nothing that we have these gifts and abilities. Time, the gift of time. To God, this is a, it's precious. There are those who, who come, I, I don't know about you guys, but we, we like to watch once in a while the antique road show at our house, believe it or not. And, and I like watching uh, how those people bring their stuff to the appraisers to find out how much it's worth. And many times, those who have seemingly extravagant or, or lavish items come on the show and they think uh, that they have this wonderfully rare treasure and more often than not, they find out that they're 
treasure <laughs> is just really a, a forgery or a duplicate. And it's worth very little. But then it's kind of neat. Sometimes there are those who come on the show with a small trinket. Or maybe it was a painting that was up in their dusty attic. And, and they're just kind of happy to be on the show. And many times these people discover that their item is worth far more than they had ever imagined. They can't believe that this dumb painting is worth, you know, $10,000. You've got to be kidding me. The people who are hoping to hit it big with their seemingly extravagant and, and valuable item are a bit like we are when we think we can impress God with what we have. On the other hand, some of us think that we don't have much to offer God. But what we really have is a treasure to God from his perspective. Our responsibility is to use our abilities or our talents to invest in God's kingdom for his purposes. So how about you? This day, this very day, do you realize how precious your talents and abilities are to God? Now this takes an eternal perspective again. Don't overlook this important point. You might be tempted to think otherwise. And that's because you're not looking at it from an eternal perspective. What you have to offer God is important. The size and the shape of the gift, uh, they, they don't matter. What matters is your willingness to use it to God's glory. That's what matters. Your willingness to give what you have back to God. That's what matters I won't, we don't need to turn there, but uh, Jesus was in the temple on another occasion observing the people who came into the temple treasury to give their offerings. You'll find the story in Luke 21. And, and the treasury contained 13 trumpet-shaped receptacles. And these people would come in and they would put their gifts in these receptacles. And Jesus was there and he was watching the rich and the wealthy put in their gifts and then you know the story a, a poor widow comes in and, and she put in two mites the Bible says two mites the smallest denomination of Jewish money two mites her gift was worth about half a cent and the Lord knew it was all she had the traditional law of the time said that no one was permitted to put in less than two mites and she had that. That's exactly what she had. She had just enough to do the very smallest thing that was permitted by the law. And without compromise, without hesitation, she devoted everything she had to God. And do you know what? On that day, the Lord noticed. And he still notices today. He's watching He's watching. And what matters to him is not the size of our gift, but our willingness to give it back to him. That's what matters to Jesus. And it's time we start remembering that. The Lord noticed, and he still noticed today. It does matter to God that you give back to him. Number three, the amount entrusted to each servant was in keeping with his ability. Boy, this is interesting. In verse 15, it says, To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, to another one talent, each according to his ability. There's a story that I heard, an illustration, about Poland's famous concert pianist and prime minister, Ignis Paderowski. It seems that 
there was a mother wishing to encourage her young son's progress in the piano, and so she bought tickets for a Paderowski performance. And when the night arrived, they, they found their seats near the front of the concert hall, and they eyed this majestic Steinway piano sitting up on the stage, just waiting, just waiting. Soon the mother found a friend to talk to, and the boy slipped away. When 8 o'clock arrived, the spotlights came on, the audience quieted down, and only then did they notice the little boy up on the bench, <laughs> innocently picking out Twinkle Twinkle little, little Star. The mother gasped in shock. Before she could retrieve her son, the master appeared on the stage and quickly moved to the keyboard. Don't quit playing, he said. Keep playing, he whispered to the little boy. And leaning over, Paderowski reached down around with his left hand and began filling in a bass part. Soon with his, his right arm reached around the, 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 the little child and on the other side and began to add a, a running obligato. And together the old master and the young novice held the crowd mesmerized. And in our lives, unpolished, Though we may be, it is the master who surrounds us and whispers in our ear time and again, don't quit. Keep playing. And as we do, he augments, he supplements until there's this work of amazing beauty that's created. Now you may be tempted to think that you don't have much to offer this church. That's not true. That's not true at all. I believe that we are at our best only when every person is involved in ministry. In fact, it's only when the least among us are free to use their gifts also that we're pursuing the will of God for our church. I believe that with my whole heart. Now, people vary greatly in their natural talents and intellect and wealth and opportunities and other resources. People, people differ greatly in their spiritual gifts and their levels of responsibility, but we all have, every one of us, have a, a, a common accountability to use whatever the Lord has entrusted us on his behalf until he returns. And so don't quit. Keep playing. God has given you talents and gifts according or in keeping with your ability and so use those gifts no matter how big or small they may be. And lastly, the master expected and rewarded fruitful obedience. In verses 21 and in 23, the servants who wisely used what the master entrusted to them received a great reward. The master praised the two servants who had made more money with what they had been given they were commended as good and faithful servants, given even greater things to do and invited to share in their master's happiness. It says, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. The writer of Hebrews says this. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And it goes on to say, he rewards those who earnestly seek him. In other words, and this is important, God blesses our faithfulness. Now, now remember, belief and faith are not the same thing. 
Belief and faith are not the same thing. Faith is what we do because of our belief. And the verse says that God blesses our faithfulness. The faithless servant in this parable was condemned for wasting his opportunity. In other words, he did not do anything. He chose to do nothing. In verse 28 through 30, it says, Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's important for us to, remember, to understand here. He was not punished because he failed. He was punished for not even trying. For not trying. For lack of faith, you could say. For doing nothing with what the master had given him. He had no faith. He made the mistake of thinking that the, the safest response was no response. And that is a mistake. I used to tell the students at his house when I was involved in campus ministry that they had my permission to make mistakes. In fact, I wanted them to make mistakes as long as long as they were trying, as long as they were trying, you have my permission to make mistakes. You have my freedom to make mistakes. I'll never uh, be upset as long as you're trying, honestly and sincerely trying. And I think that's important for this church also. Don't be afraid. Don't hide your talent. Take some risks for Jesus. See what happens. Step out in faith. Use those gifts and those talents. The principle taught by this parable is use it or lose it. The, the Christian life is a task, a mission, an adventure. And it's not for the timid. It's not for the lazy. And it's not for the faithless. God owns 100% of the shares of your life and he expects a return on his investment. Now let me try to wrap this up with some thoughts that I have about this whole thing and maybe how it applies to us as a church and individually. Uh, though the master was gone a long time in the story, he did return to settle uh, the accounts with his servants. And when Jesus returns, he's going to want to know what we've done with the, the life he, he's given us. And though we're not saved by works, there's no such thing as saving faith that is not also a serving faith. You cannot separate those two. Christianity isn't something you watch. It's something you do. And this church has some very talented people. There's, there's a wide variety of talents and gifts represented in this fellowship of believers. We have musicians, we have builders, we have teachers, we have organizers, we have encouragers, we have decorators, we have cleaners, prayer warriors, people who like to cook, we've got evangelists. And, and I'm convinced of this one thing, and, and see, if you, see if you can follow this. I'm convinced that our past success as a church was only possible, if there's any success at all, I'm convinced that that success was possible only because God's people in this body of believers were willing to get involved and to use their gifts. For example, Steve and Rachel Lauren have been so faithful in, in guiding and leading our teens and young people in ministry. Linda Berg with the snacks just recently. I, I just was really encouraged how Linda grabbed hold of that whole thing, organized it and got it 
got it going. Gene Cordola with the activities and the potlucks and Mike and Tara Fields with the finances and the, and the email letter that goes out every week and the prayer chain and Sue Ellen coming up to help with the kids and, and John Major and Judy with the Growing Kids God's Way. And, and that's what I'm talking about. That, these are good examples of people serving this body and using their talents and abilities. However, I, I said I'm confident that our past success was possible only because God... Uh, people in this body were willing to get involved, use their gifts. Uh, however, I'll say this. I'm also confident that our future success as a church will only be possible if God's people in this body of believers continue to get involved and use those gifts. It's the only way. And so this means that every person in our church needs to take some initiative. You need to help out if you're not. Don't sit on the sidelines and let everyone else do the work. So a good question is this. A good question to ask yourself is this. What would our church be like if everybody had the same level of commitment and dedication and involvement that I have? You see, I I believe that many of us are not as active as we should be. We're spectators rather than participants. And what we are in need of at this church or what we're looking for are people who embrace our approach to ministry, our vision, and have a desire to push in the same direction. And if that's where you are, then make a commitment. Make a risky commitment to invest yourself in this church. Get on board. If you've been attending this church for more than two or three months, you need to make a decision. Is this my church? It shouldn't take longer than that. You need to decide, is this my church? Is this the body of believers that I'm going to be a part of? Am I going to push this thing forward or not? And if you don't want to, that's okay, but you need to find a church to get involved in. And if you do decide that this is your church, what we're looking for is a spirit of unity, a spirit of eagerness to be involved in ministry, a, a spirit of excitement for the things we're trying to do. We want to promote these things. And we have a a fellowship covenant card. And and if you haven't read through this, in fact, if I was you, and you don't have one of these, first of all, get one. But if you have one, stick this in your Bible and read it every week. And I'm not joking about that. Read this card every week. Because on this card, it clearly explains who we are as a church, what we expect of our members. I'll protect the unity of my fellowship. I'll share the responsibility of my fellowship. I'll serve the ministry of my fellowship. I'll support the testimony of my fellowship. These And there's scripture and examples on this card. So we need to decide what we're going to do here. It also means, I think, that some of us are going to have to, and let me say this as carefully as I can, I think maybe some of us are going to have to um, loosen our grip on some of the responsibilities around here and let others get involved, even if it's different from what we're used to or makes us feel uncomfortable. And perhaps, you know, many of us have been serving faithfully, but perhaps we've been serving faithfully because we're kind of afraid to let others take over in an area of ministry. We're we're worried about things not going like we would like them to go. But maybe some of us have three or four different areas of responsibility and others have none. You know, it's risky to let others assume responsibility for a ministry. I know that. 
It, may not, it might not get done, or, or if it gets done, it might not get done right, the, you know, as good as, well, we could do it. But perhaps then, and listen, where I'm going with this, and this is important, perhaps then you could coach that person. Perhaps you could coach that person in order to offer a level of accountability. I know that delegating responsibility and training others to take over often takes more work than just doing it yourself. Listen, I know that better than, than you think I know it. But God, we have to. We have to do that. That's what we, ha- we have to do. Part of being a servant is helping other people be a servant. And it's going to take, take some hard work to, to even let go of some of these things and to get new people in positions of ministry. And we're going to have to coach. We're going to have to hold them accountable. We're going to have to explain. We're going to have to demonstrate. And all this stuff takes time and energy. I know that. But we really have to do it. We have to spread this out. So what are we doing for him? Are we doing our best with what we have? What kind of fruit will you be able to show the master when he returns? Um, there are multitudes of Christians who I believe have reached a level of maturity, not just in this church, but I mean the church worldwide. They've, they've reached this plateau, this, this level of maturity in their faith, and they kind of become self-satisfied and complacent. They, they decide that uh, they don't really need to grow anymore or pray or, or to study or involve themselves in service anymore. And they start dying spiritually because they bury their talents. And the principle never changes. The principle never changes. All the way through Scripture, Jesus has constantly challenged us to invest and reinvest again and again into the kingdom. He wants us to give what we can to, 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 to further the kingdom. And he'll always honor that investment. He'll, he'll, he'll never honest, honor those who are afraid or lazy or just bury their talents in the backyard. <clears throat> Jesus, his principles are clear. God's principles are clear. Jesus said, work while it is day. The night is coming when you won't be able to work anymore. So let's roll up our sleeves and get busy. And let's not stop. I believe that as a congregation, we're kind of standing at the crossroads in our history. What will we do with the blessings that God has showered upon us as a body of believers? Are we going to run out and bury those blessings, those talents, those abilities in the backyard? Because if we do, we know what the result will be. Or are we going to stand up and realize that he honors those who have the faith to invest in his kingdom? Um, Let me just see if I can... The worthless servant in Jesus' parable here actually lived in the house of the master. But he didn't really... Love the master. Isn't that interesting? A distinguishing mark of a true Christian is serving and giving. A lack of service betrays a heart where Jesus doesn't really live. A Christian who is not using what God has given is really a contradiction in terms. And so as you survey your, your servanthood quotient and you conclude that maybe I've buried my blessings, maybe I've buried my talents, maybe, maybe that's me in this parable. Um, 
Maybe you need to get right with Jesus. Maybe there's, maybe there's a bigger issue in your life right now than serving. Maybe it's your willingness to make Jesus Lord. Maybe that's what you first have to settle. And so we have a time of communion, and I'm going to ask everybody to search their own hearts, really. Because if we're not serving, I think it's a pretty clear indication that something's wrong with our commitment to Jesus. And I don't know where you are, but I would just ask that between you and God, you, you search your own heart. Don't hide the truth. Don't bury it. Allow the greatest treasure of all, Jesus Christ himself, to radically reform your life. So our communion is open to everyone who's, anyone who's surrendered their life to Jesus. And uh, we'll pass out the emblems, the bread and the juice, and they represent Christ's body that was broken, his blood that was shed for us at Calvary. And as we take communion, I just uh, would encourage each of us to, like I said, search our own hearts and see where we're at with our commitment to Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today and thank you for your, your word and how it challenges us. And Lord, as we've talked about a, a commitment to serve uh, faithfully, I pray, Father, that uh, we would look even deeper into our own hearts. And if we're not serving, ask that question, why? Have we really made you Lord of our life? Are you really master of all that we are? And I hope and pray, Father, that during this time, we would take it serious and we would get right with you and we would begin to look at, for ways to use the talents and abilities you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen.